Happy New Year. It's Ricardo, and here's the lineup for the Popping Collars feed in January 2021. Betsy, Liz, Greg, and I choose our favorite Netflix originals on Popping Collars. Take two features the return of John White, who's coming back to talk about the changing world of internet news. It's a new year and a new set of movies for Greg and Betsy on Going On 30. They're looking back at the movies of 1990, beginning with Penny Marshall's Awakenings. Speaking of new things, The Sacred Six begins a new deep dive this month. Special guest Eric Matoyer joins Betsy to talk about six episodes of The Wire. Thanks for listening and keep those collars popped. I'm Greg. And I'm Betsy. And this is Going On 30, a popping collar side project where we come back to life. And, and this is the show actually coming back to life for That's right. our third season. <laughs> coming back to life for our third. Yes, this yes. is our third time through with movies that were nominated or should have been nominated for Best Picture 30 years ago this month. We're looking at Penny Marshall's awakenings you will be working with patients people doctor when you say people you mean living people you do want the job don't you hi i'm dr thayer i'm wahida wahida i'd like to ask i was born in 1911 in kingsbridge new york prior to july 1955 i resided the brooklyn psychiatric center brooklyn new york how are you today i'm fine thank you (laughs) prior to that i was a person It gets easier. You don't think it will, but it does. Can you hear me? Does he ever speak to you? Of course not. Not in words. No change in data 9-11-44. Your patients, doctor, haven't moved in decades. What I believe, what I know, is these people are alive inside. Well, how do you know that, doctor? I know it. I just wanted to say to you, I preferred your explanation. At 200 milligrams, he showed no response. Maybe he needs more. Maybe he needs less. Don't you there? It's a miracle. Where are my glasses? They're on your face. I don't think that I could deal with losing 30 years of my life, could you? Have you thought what you'd like to do today? Everything. Leonard, where are you going? I would do all the things that you people take for granted. I'd go for a walk. I'd look at things. I'd talk to people. You work here? No, I live here. You don't look like a patient. (laughs) Hello? Girls. You're not married. Me? Would you like to go out for a cup of coffee? have a brief description of awakenings. Betsy, would you like to hear? I would love to hear it, Greg. 
This is great because- Hey, I've, but please make sure it's not too scientific. I've got an adjective in this description that I think you're going to love. Okay, great. Uh, Awakenings is a true story of a maverick doctor. Tom Cruise isn't even in this movie. Why do you have to keep bringing him up? Because Tom Cruise, unfortunately, is not in any of our movies this year. Oh, I don't think I haven't been looking forward to it. This is Tom Cruise's Days of Thunder year. Unfortunately, not nominated for an Oscar. How weird. How strange. Not nominated. So weird. Okay. So I need to work in a Cruise reference wherever I can. Awakenings is a true story of a maverick doctor and the patients whose lives he changes. Dr. Malcolm Sayer, a shy research physician, uses an experimental drug to awaken the catatonic victims of a rare disease beginning with a patient named Leonard. Through his recovery, Leonard teaches Dr. Sayer about the importance of appreciating the simple pleasures of life. Betsy, what is your history with Awakenings? Oh, I feel like... I might have seen this in the movie theater. Mm. It's a it's a possibility. I would have been 16. Yeah, 1990. So I have watched this movie a lot in my youth. I we wow. definitely, my sister and I were talking about we definitely rented it. Adults like it. There's nothing terrible in it for kids. You know, it feels like you're in your in your terminology, Greg, maybe watching an adult movie, <laughs> a movie with adult adults doing adult things. But yeah, I I definitely, I could hear this movie. I could see this movie. I had scenes I could play in my head before. It was fun to revisit. What about you? We have a total opposite approach to this movie. I have no history with this movie. As a matter of fact, I couldn't have even told you it was a movie that existed in the world before we started doing this project. What? Yeah, I, I I had no clue that there was a movie called Awakenings that had Robin Williams and Robert De Niro in it until like a month ago. So um, so this was my first time watching it. As a matter of fact, when Penny Marshall's name comes up in the opening credits, I thought, oh, like I got, I got excited because I was like, oh, this is going to be a good movie because I've never watched a bad Penny Marshall movie. So with that in mind, what are, what are your hot takes as a veteran of the Awakenings game? <sighs> I think the, f- the first times I've watched it, I wasn't really thinking about it as a Penny Marshall film necessarily because mm-hmm. it really existed for me in this realm of Williams and De Niro. And I think coming back to it again, you know, this is when you look at her directing slate, right? So she had done some TV, Jumpin' Jack Flash in 86. She'd had a huge hit with Big. Right. First movie by a woman to gross over $100 million. Big, I would argue that if we could go back to those 1988 movies that we talked uh-huh. about and add our own nominees, I bet yeah. Big would be. Because we did not do that that season. Right. Yeah. We did they, not we do did that back in 88. Yeah. So so then this is the next big movie, the next movie she does after that. You know, she has a ton of family experience, a ton of experience as an actor. I find it fascinating that we still think of her as an actor first. Yeah. I mean, she has more acting credits. Yes. But. I mean, some of the the films that she's directed are just seminal kind of films. Right. So, I mean, they're they're all quality films. And I guess, like, when you talk about adult movies, or when I talk about like adult movies from the perspective of a teenager, you know, it's those middle of the road kind of entertainment movies that I don't I don't know that a lot of them get produced on a big scale anymore. But sort of that mid range kind of adult 
movie movies about adults doing adult things mm-hmm. like that feels like that feels like very much in her wheelhouse yes like, and i also to have this be you know a movie set in the bronx she's from the bronx mm-hmm. doctor from you know all of that the experience of the film for me was so atmospheric you know, you get your randy newman doing the soundtrack and doing the score now this is randy's only his third movie Right. He done the natural Avalon and then this. And so just that piano score kind of running throughout, appreciating the acting again, uh, mm-hmm. appreciating Robin Williams and what he does in this film. The the cast of of the characters in the hospital, you know, it's a lot of New York stage actors. Mm-hmm. Watching them play together. She also cast a lot of extras who were people who were in wheelchairs. Something that a lot of people did not do at the time. She's like, if I'll see anybody in a wheelchair, can you be in a wheelchair that isn't motorized because it has to be of the time? I, I find it to be just so well shot, so interesting. I love the nod. I think I feel like it's a nod to the graduate when they go out and see the airplane. And she does that zoom in, which yeah. I can just see Dustin Hoffman in that movie on, on some of that camera work. And it's 69. Like she's trying to kind of embody the season you know, the time, the time of the season. Then another song, you know, that, but that I think she creates just a, a portrait of a summer mm-hmm. in this very interesting place. Yes. How about you? Um, okay. Initial hot take, and this may be the hottest take. Oh, Ben Diesel caught me off guard in this movie. <laughs> so, what? Yeah. Well, Vin so, Diesel's in this movie? Yes. So Where? There, was an, what? there was an orderly that popped up. He wasn't the orderly that we like, though, who's like on our floor. Was he no, like? He's, he does not have, he's uncredited, doesn't have a speaking role. It's yeah. just that the camera passes by him. And I just thought to myself, man, that, that guy's face looks familiar. It looks kind of like Vin Diesel wearing a disguise. It was Vin Diesel. So there you go. Yes. Um, okay. Right All right. There. What else? Uh, I like Robin Williams in this movie better than Dead Poet Society. I would agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. And she cast him because of seeing him in Dead Poet Society. Oh, okay. Originally, she wanted Bobby De Niro to play the doctor. And he said, no, I want to play the patient. Interesting. So. That makes a lot of sense. So she um, called I, Pe- she called Peter Weir and said that I'm interested in casting this guy. <laughs> so she yeah, didn't know, even though she knew Robin Williams because she'd been on Mork and Mindy. Oh, that's right. Yeah. They had worked together. That was a spinoff of Laverne and Shirley? No, mm-hmm. it was a spinoff of Happy Days. Yes, yes. But they live in the same universe? Right, because Laverne and Shirley is a spinoff of Happy Days. Right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I guess the last thing I would add is that uh, it's maybe 30 minutes too long. Like, that's kind of... You the, think? <laughs> yeah, it's it it pretty tight. Feels like, it feels like we hit the point of the movie, and then there's like another... 45 minutes to go. And I'm like, oh. I mean, the, 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 the slide of Leonard. Yeah. Is hard. I think it's yeah. also just hard to watch. To and and we're going to be talking about De Niro a lot this year. Right. But it's when he, he's almost like Leonard becomes like the mob boss, you know, that it's like, yes. What are we doing here, right? Like, what are did we you working? The, did you, there was some actor in the in the prison wing who was definitely auditioning to be the next John Malkovich. <laughs> like, he was definitely. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy who's like really trying to be like his number two. And I'm right. like, okay, slow down. Like, all right, we see you. We got you. Slow Good down. Job. We got it. <laughs> <laughs> we got it. This time watching it, really being older and grasping, how would it be to have your life just stop? 
right. at a certain age. And it makes me wonder about patients who are in a chronic vegetative state, like how, how, what is their perception of the world and having these former encephalitic patients be able to tell that story yeah. is really fascinating. But I, well, I mean, I, I, I would argue that I think I thought it took the trajectory. It should have, were there some moments? Sure. But she also just in creating those moments of looking out the window and looking at the bus and seeing right. the kids playing and, and the, the, it's these echoes of their old life, but cast in the 1969 mold and the yearning to be a part of that while still actually being in community together. Well, that's a good segue then to, so what is your best scene of the movie? It was the moment when everybody woke up. Thank you for coming to see things a little different today. Miriam. 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 I, I had the strangest dream. I have to take your blood pressure. I've been sitting for 25 years here in this direction. Are you okay? I need some makeup. Okay, I think we can take care of that. And I need some dye for my hair. Black. Black? Rose, are you sure? Yes, it's always been black. Doctor, say something about fruit trees. From the fruit trees. I will. Uh, how's it look for them? I want a steak, rare. Uh, mashed potatoes and gravy, string beans. I was aware of things, but nothing meant anything to me. There was no connection to me. It's war or two. This morning I went to the bathroom all by myself. Do it, do it, do it, do it. <laughs> I think I like them better the other way. That's what Alice Drummond in this film. Yeah. I mean, you know her as a character actress, a face that you've seen places, you know, Ghostbusters, etc. But she is amazing. Mm-hmm. Just her face and her spirit in that character. Love her so much. She plays she, Lucy, right? Yes. Yeah. And like that moment when she walks over to the window and yes. you know before and holds on to the thing. And the, strangely, the wind's blowing in her face, even though the window's not open. It's, it's a little odd. It's a little bit of one of those. Did uh, IMDb pick up on that on the on their, uh, goofs and stuff? But she is just she's a, she's an actress who I, I have seen. And she's always been older in my experience. Right. Yeah. Growing up. But she's just just the humanity that each of them bring to those characters. That's actually that actually is my best scene is Lucy yeah. walking to the, to window. the window. And this is before, but it's before she's um yes. been given the drug. So she's um she's walking across the floor and she stops because the the black and white tiles don't extend. And so he yeah. paints the floor so that she can see it as a continuous path. And he thinks that she's going for the water fountain, but she ends up walking past the water fountain to the window. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's it sort of highlights this idea of we think sometimes we think we know what people want, but actually, you know, they can surprise us. And I think that Robin Williams is very surprised in that moment about what her real desire is. Who is your best performance of the movie? I'm going Robin Williams all the way, Yeah, all the way. Like watching it this time, 
you know, because the whole metaphor that he is actually not awake to, right? That he is actually asleep as well and is kind of living this cocooned life in his books and his research and without very much human interaction. As he said, human beings are unpredictable, which gives a, an inkling to pain that's in the past. Mm-hmm. I think watching it and thinking about his autobi- his biography, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, about his life as a boy and being alone a lot of the time. And I think that must have informed this performance. Yeah. And, you know, because he's playing a real person. He's playing a doctor whose name isn't Malcolm Sayer. Its name, right. His name is Oliver Sacks. And Oliver Sacks is like on set there, present while they're filming. It's based on his book. It's the physical movements. It's the way he turns in mm-hmm. and, and just kind of closes himself off. In this way that then you could mimic that with the movements. Sorry, people can't see us. I'm doing some of the yeah, the the way that some of our characters get kind of frozen. Right. But that he's he, the way he he just turns it inward all the time and the polish the glasses. It's this all this individual inward stuff until he's able to to you know put on that leather jacket and go out and see right. the world and go for coffee with Julie Kravner. But I, I thought he was really tremendous. The summer was extraordinary. It was a season of rebirth and innocence. A miracle. Fifteen patients, and for us, the caretakers. But now we have to adjust to the realities of miracles. We can hide behind the veil of science and say it was the drug that failed, or that the illness itself had returned or that the patients were unable to cope with losing decades of their lives. But the reality is, we don't know what went wrong any more than we know what went right. What we do know is as the chemical window closed, another awakening took place. That the human spirit is more powerful than any drug. And that is what needs to be nourished. With work, play, friendship, family. These are the things that matter. This is what we've forgotten. Simplest things. Robin Williams, a absolutely, I mean, we can spoil it now. He's definitely going to be up for our Hall of Fame at our second annual Poppers uh, at the end of the year. I'm 100% sure. Betsy, that brings me to one of our new features for this year. I have a top five beardy Robin Williams movies. Oh, I need you to count me down starting at five. Okay, what is the fifth? Beardiest Robin Williams movie go. Wait, I made a mistake. I have an extra here. I have an honorable mention. Okay. What? You always <laughs> do more things. Who are you, Ricardo? Liz? You're picking multiple things? Just cheating. All right. So, honorable mention. Honorable mention. Beardy Robin Williams movie. Honorable mention Moscow on the Hudson. Okay, fine. Okay, number five. Number five, Awakenings. Yeah. Is, is this ranked on beard size? No, this is ranked on the quality, quality of, the of the movie, movie, but he has to have a beard in the movie. So you're ranking Jumanji higher? 
Mm, or no Jumanji spoilers. didn't make the list. <laughs> oh okay, all right, all right. Number four, number number four. Number four, The Fisher King. The oh, I thought that was gonna Fisher be number King. one. Yeah. I thought that was gonna be number one. All right, number three. Number three, you ain't never had a friend like me, Aladdin, baby. He, but he wasn't beardy. <laughs> he does have a beard in Aladdin. Does he? I have to Did go back and look at the cells. All right, number two. <laughs> number two, Betsy's hit Jumanji. It's the it's it. a movie that defines a generation. It does. All right, and number one. It's uh, not your fault. Goodwill Hunting, not I knew it. Your <laughs> fault, Betsy. Knew it. Well, and this is the interesting thing, too. Like, if you compare his performance in this movie to Goodwill Hunting, doctor, explorer, researcher, a little bit more of a of a bloke in in Goodwill Hunting, right? But there is still it, he's turned inward because of life in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my best performance, uh, yeah, obviously Robin Williams. I've got a soft spot though for Max von Sydow in this mm-hmm. movie. So he does in this a similar thing that he does in like The Force Awakens, where he shows up and you're like, wait a second, that's oh. a famous actor, and he's in this movie for like two minutes you know it was his final line and he delivers it in a haunting and really chilling way where um robin williams is saying uh how do you know these people don't experience life and he says because the alternative is unthinkable Mm -hmm. and like that line just it just kind of hits like the bottom of your stomach and you're like ooh, and you start to realize like the trap of this disease. Well, and I think too, I mean, saluting a lot of these actors who are in this film, you know, Judith or Ruth Nelson, who plays uh, Leonard's mother, you know, I already mentioned Alice Drummond, Judith Molina, who plays Rose with the hair dye, Barton Heyman, who plays Bert, George Martin and Mira, Richard uh, Libertini, who does the run down the hall. He <laughs> talk about Beardy, just amazing, you know, with Laura Easterman as, Ol- as Lolly. Like the whole, that, that cast, I mean, what a dream. Yeah. Great cast. cast to work with. Really. Oh, and I forgot to mention Dexter Gordon, who plays the piano. Perfect timing. Great. Because I've got some stats about the movie. Stats, 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 stats. As an aside, who knew when we started this that we would come in at the end of box office numbers and charts as far as who knows what the future holds? Who knows? <laughs> but, Streaming number. Let's imagine us 30 years doing the number of streaming downloads of this movie. I got some stats about the movie. It opened on December 19th, 1990. Okay. Oscar movie. Oscar bait. Even though I'll say a little, it's almost a little schmaltzy for the Oscars. Like originally when I, I couldn't, I can't always remember what we pick and what's on the list. Right. But I, I was like, oh, this was one of the ones we added. And then I'm like, oh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, nominated. Was, My bad. No, My the bad. Oscars wanted it. But again, we have this running theory of happy ending gets nominated. And a person playing someone with a disability. That's right. Uh, domestic gross of $51 million. So it made it the number 23 grossing movie of uh, 1990. It's the number 1,685th top grossing movie of all time between. Here's how we're going to do this. Okay, I'm excited. feature. We're starting a new game that we're calling Flirt, Marry, Kill. Yes, we know it's not flirt. Flirt, Marry, Kill. Okay. Flirt 
is you get to watch the movie once or twice. You have a good time. No commitments. Okay. Mary, you could watch this movie over and over and over again. Okay, kill. Bill, you could never see this movie again and you would be okay. 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 Right? right? So you have to uh, assign our triple feature to one of these things. Flirt, Mary, kill. And then between awakenings is Finding Neverland, Johnny Depp, Kate Winslet, and The Gray with Liam Neeson. The so Gray. Mary is, someone abducted in the, is someone abducted in that movie and he has to go find them? No, no, no. The Gray, he's in a plane crash okay. uh, with Dermot Mulroney, I want to say. <laughs> really? And, um, and they have to survive in the Alaskan wilderness being hunted down by wolves. I think I'm gonna I'm I'm marrying awakenings. Oh, okay. I'm going to flirt with the gray. And maybe mm-hmm. I think I'm gonna kill kill Finding Neverland. <laughs> I have I have actually never seen Finding Neverland. Have no desire to see Finding Neverland, so I'm fine killing it. I'll marry the gray. I'll flirt with awakenings. I love the gray. Like, never seen great. it. Never. Oh my gosh, it's so good. I get so there's it. your triple feature. Awakenings received an 88% on Rotten Tomatoes. Roger Ebert. He's got to love it. This is, oh, this is a Roger Ebert movie. Like from 100%. Roger Ebert, what both the movie and the book convey. Oh, oh, we've read the book. Okay, Raj. Is the immense courage of the patients and the profound experience of their doctors as in a small way, they re-experienced what it means to be born to open your eyes and discover to your astonishment that you are alive. Four out of four stars. Damn. That's some good writing. That's some poetic Roger Ebert. Yeah, he loved it. It's like a rebirth. On the other hand, (laughs) Janet Maslin. Not into it. Janet Maslin, who's going to be our new uh, female critic, Um, She was the film and literary critic at the New York Times during the 90s. She said this, Awakenings works harder at achieving misplaced liveliness than at winning its audience over. Hmm. Hmm. Misplaced liveliness. Yeah. So So she's saying that we're being, that's kind of emotionally manipulative? Yeah, she's saying you were being manipulated when you loved that scene of... Them dancing out in the place. And Leonard smiling and all of that stuff. You were being manipulated. Okay. I can see it. Sure. How did it do at the Oscars? No wins. Nominated for two other awards besides Best Picture. Betsy, can you name the two awards that it was nominated for? Okay. So it was nominated for Best Picture. Was it also nominated for Score? Not nominated for Score. Oh, damn. Uh, Yeah, unfortunately, um, he was still considered a pop artist at that time, right? Not really. That's not not fair. That's not fair. Randy Newman. Um, The natural. I mean, come on. Um, Okay. So was it Costumes? Not nominated for costumes. Huh. Interesting though. I never, I didn't really, the costumes didn't really stand out to me. No. Raj kind of alluded to it in his um, review. The writing? Yes. Best adapted screenplay. Okay. I should have gone movie. there first. I'm rusty, Greg. We haven't done this in a while. <laughs> Normally I'm all up on it. And I'm, I'm not sure what the other one is. What is the other one? Best actor. 
Robert De Niro. Niro. It was one of De Niro's acting nominations, which is really strange, right? Because if you had told me, was Robert De Niro nominated for Best Actor for this or for Goodfellas, I would have gone the other way 100% of the time. Oh, yeah. I agree with you. Well, and I think, too, it is this, which we're now struggling with. Now, you know, can actors play roles that, you know, that that where they're dealing with things that are not their thing in real life, right? Mm-hmm. So we talked some about mm-hmm. this, the disability ability um, with Rain Man. And so this is definitely along those lines. I mean, but but De Niro is another person who's going to go. He did the, went and did the research. There were a lot of encephalitic patients still alive in England, more so than the United States. Right. And so he went over there and did the work and does the observations, very method, he's in it. And it's, it's well done, but I probably would have thought it would have gone the other way too. How are you? I have a better. <laughs> How are the others? Are they talking about me? They're scared. Should be. Can you stop this? I'm not sure, but I'm trying. Don't give up on me. I won't. That leads us to our big thought for this episode. I've got savior movies. Someone comes in to save the day. And this is maybe a subcategory of that called unlikely saviors. Yeah, that could Someone be a part who, of it. You know, they're trying to pick through his resume to find some moment he worked with human beings. Yeah. Give him this job. So the big takeaway of Savior movies 30 years later, there's a lot of like born again messaging in this movie. And mm-hmm. this comes at the hands of this healer, right? That kind of right. comes in to save everyone, to like save their lives. I feel like Robin Williams is at the heart of a lot of these kinds of movies. I mean, this guy that comes in to say this you. isn't giving you some Patch Adams foreshadowing. I'm not quite mm-hmm. sure. I think some people actually confuse those two movies. And mm-hmm. I think maybe that's why Awakenings doesn't get the same amount of attention it deserves because Absolutely. people are like, oh, not the one where he has the rubber nose on his face. And blah, blah. I'm like, no, 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 it's a totally different movie. <laughs> totally different movie. But I think, too, the idea of the scientific mind. To know that this was this was one of only a number of moments that in Dr. Sayer's continued work with chronic patients. And and the scientific mind is like, well, we tried this for a period of time and, and right. it worked for a period of time, and then we'll try other things. And there's that trying and failing and trying and failing aspect. But of course, we only kind of get this this one portrait of this one summer. But yeah. yeah. But I think it is, it it does step into this. So I've just finished doing my closing semester. I'm grading all of these things for my kids. They're gospels. They they have to write a gospel for my class. Mm -hmm. And they imagine a Messiah figure coming to to Episcopal, to our school. And then they write various episodes, miracle, parable, and ethical teaching, birth narrative, like all those elements. But there is this figurative crucifixion that happens there, mm-hmm. And then they then they eventually have to leave. I would say that it, the Dead Poets is more messianic. Someone coming from outside the system into the system to be critical of the system, mm-hmm. and to say, "I'm going to." I'm actually talking about something bigger than this, something beyond this. But the system cannot handle me, and the system eventually crushes me, and I have to leave. Mm-hmm. You know, Sayer ends up staying 
and stayed working in the Bronx for a really, really, really long time with the same chronically ill population. But I think the, you know, of course the portrait we get for cinema is a little more in that messianic zone. Right. Because he gets second guessed by other doctors. He gets picked on by poor Bradley Whitford. Who's I mean, big fat jerk. The worst (laughs) with his silent partner there. Doesn't say anything, you know, but he, they very quickly are eating their hats. It's fine. They, yeah. they, they're not. There's not too much bullying when that happens. In this. <laughs> I also love that scene where they all start putting their checks down. I love that. You know, he's got now got these folks. Because I'm also let's right. imagine the folks who work in chronic healthcare like this. This how how the narrative that you working with patients who you don't feel like there's necessarily something in return. Right. It was interesting to watch their attitude from the beginning of the movie to the end, even when everybody is kind of returning back. So I've kind of labeled it a savior movie. That may be fair or unfair, but do you think that it is a quote unquote great man story? You know, like how we're given history is like the stories of great men who get us to this point, you know, that kind of thing. Like it does kind of feel like that a little bit, you know? It does, but it's with an all shucks quality. It's someone mm-hmm. who's like, ah, don't look at me. It's like, it is actually in the way that, you know, if you want to put it into thinking about the Messiah type stuff, that Jesus very much was not about doing things to have it point at him, mm-hmm. for him to gain recognition. He kept saying, no, all of the things that are happening here are more about you and you and you in the community. It's not about me. And so this right. is kind of a person who's put into a position because he didn't show up in this place being like, I'm going to wake these people up and it's my job. You know, like no, he, he was just being a scientist and it was a researcher is what he is and wanted to kind of see if there was something possible here. I think it, I think it treads into some of that. Yeah. But it definitely makes you, makes you, makes you feel good. It makes you question your own life. How am I living? Where am I not awake? Right. You know, it's interesting that we now have, you know, the, you know, the term being awake or being woke now right. takes on this whole other contextual cultural term in our lives. Mm-hmm. And, and that this is playing around with that idea. And I think too, if we're, if we're talking about, are we, are we too, who's this movie for? Is that where we're, is that where we're headed? Yeah, I would say so. Except yeah. to say, except to ask just this one last question. Is yes. there something about that kind of story of like, here comes this man to save us or to heal us or to whatever it is. Like, is there something appealing about that or is it because, or do we have stories like that because that's how history has been given to us for generations? It's like, isn't it appealing story or is it the story that we know? So we just keep telling it. Well, I'm, I don't know. That's a good question. And I'm sure there's probably others other characters that kind of get amalgamed into like groups of people in the movie that were also present in the store in the real story. Mm-hmm. Um, but to make it a little bit easier for you and I in the cinema makes me think about Chernobyl. Like they created like composite characters in Chernobyl of various right. and scientists because right. the movie would have been way too big, too many people confusing, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. I, would I agree just think that like when the Fauci movie comes out, right. right. And it's like, I don't know, Brad Pitt. <laughs> like, you know, it's like is the it's gonna be like a great man story, I feel like, you know, and and what we know living through history is that there are thousands, millions of people working on in hospitals who yeah. you're never gonna know their names and they've put in 
crazy numbers of shifts and hours trying to keep people alive through this pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but the movie is going to be called Fauci. Right. Well, right. <laughs> but I also think that it is, it is something that appeals to us as human beings from the yeah. beginning of time. We like these stories. <laughs> we, we dig them. They, we find them inspiring. We're, we're, you know, we want to see people up against odds. We want to see them doubted. We want to see them surmount. It gives us hope in our own lives that we could do that too. It's just a very human interest, I think, for us, for sure. Okay, now I will allow you to tell me who this movie is for. <laughs> okay. It's for boomers. <laughs> yes. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> yes, and it is you sitting there being like, what am I doing with my life? Am I awake? What's happening? Yes. Oh my gosh, it's like the Matrix. Yes. Yes. So... I think it's, I think it's, and I also bought a leather coat like that from a thrift store. Pretty damn sure. sure. But I think also, if you think about the time that it came out and having it be 69, there's a lot of those elements too that are very boomery. But I also think about it as a 16 year old who, you know, we'd have 1960s day at school and let's wear tie dyes and no, no, no. And so we were also really fascinated by that counterculture time as Gen Xers and wanting to know more about that. And looking back at that, because how romanticized is it? What's real? Yeah, that's exactly what I have. I have this movie is for boomers that like going to the movies. Yes. <laughs> and or boomers that want to watch a movie with their Gen X children. Right. It's that, that guy from Dead Poet Society that you liked so much. Let's watch this movie. Yeah. yeah. Hey, it's that guy. Right. <laughs> it's a guy He's got a beard now. Taxi driver. It's that guy. No. <laughs> Really hard to to, to ref uh, ref Bobby Bobby De Niro for That's the right. number That's set. Right. <laughs> People like who's that guy? And can we talk about how much that little kid looked like Robert De Niro? I was oh like, my God. there was no yes. CGI before. This. I mean, the mole is perfect. The hairline is perfect. It is just amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yes. You know, I I like it when Bobby De Niro isn't playing sinister because. Pretty much all we're going to see from Bobby De Niro moving forward is him playing the sinister character. Yes. Well, um, also, let's imagine if he had taken this the the role of the Doctor. He yeah, it would be, it would be harder, right? It would be harder edged, I would think. It, it probably would be. Yeah, but unaffected. Like, um, but like Penny Marshall talked about that, what she liked about Robin was is that even though he was playing closed off and emotionally unavailable, there's a warmth inside Robin Williams that you can't hide. Right. They actually needed them together to balance each other out in this movie. Yeah. Even though she said he she said Robert De Niro chose the other role and then he was asleep for half of the film. And, like, well, <laughs> and got nominated. Funny, and Penny. He's the one that got nominated. <laughs> he's the one who got nominated. And he didn't I mean you you got there's gotta be articles around the time that he wasn't even doing anything for half a film. <laughs> How many minutes are, you know, like, well, that is acting too. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, What is your rating for this movie out of five? This is just trips me up every year, Greg. Like, like, I wish I could. (laughs) I should just look at, I'd never look at the list ahead of time to then be like, come up with a ranking. So I always do it on the fly and we'll see how many point fives I end up with. But I'm going to give this a four. Oh, wow. I'm going to, I mean, what, you know, it, it, it hits me in my chewy, nuggety heart center, Greg, and I love it. Okay. Yeah. That's a good what call. Do you 
I gave it a 3.5 out of 5, and the and I actually had it as a 3 until we started talking about the movie, and you made me like it more as we were talking. Yeah. Well <laughs> yeah. done. Well done, Penny uh, Marshall. Yeah, so, R.I.P. Penny Marshall. <laughs> I know. I know. I hate that we're not getting more Penny Marshall movies because she's great. Uh, yeah, what I wrote was it's it's straight down the middle entertainment for me. Um, but honestly, I miss movies like this that are just kind of mid-range features for adults. Like, I think that's great. I mean, yes. I really do. Yeah. Um, and Penny Marshall is just really skilled. She's just really skilled at crafting a narrative yeah. for a movie. And so. I think, too, having um, listened to Karina Longworth's podcast, You Must Remember This. Mm-hmm. And she did a whole series on Polly Platt, The Invisible Woman is the name of the series and and Polly Platt who really made her way through Hollywood starting in the 1960s going forward and just a journey of a woman in Hollywood. And I'm sure, you know, when Penny started directing films, everyone's like, well, you know, it's because her brother's Gary and blah, 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 blah. But that she just is, was so skilled. Mm -hmm. Um, It was fun to go back and look at some videos of her talking about these movies. Cause first off, it's hard to understand Penny Marshall because the older she gets a little more mumbly. She gets like (laughs) Rosie O'Donnell's impression of Penny Marshall hands down. It's so good, but that I just, it's, she's just, she's funny. She's humorous. She would be an actor's director. She gets the best out of people. I think And her movies all have an incredible amount of heart. I think you're right. Makes me excited for 1992 because I'm I'm putting Lee their own out there. I'm just going to already call my shot. Call my shot. I think that's probably going to be a consensus pick, but I'll have to look at what the 92 movies are. Calling that shot. It's interesting that we have a Gary Marshall movie later this year. So we're going to have a Penny Marshall and a Gary Marshall movie to look at. Sibling, head to head. There we go. One last question. Why did the Academy nominate this movie? Well, we have some of the stuff we talked about around disability ability. Mm-hmm. Big was not nominated because comedies didn't get nominated. Right. right. I don't know whether there's some recognition of her success here. I think the true life story of it helps yeah. it as well. I think the Academy likes things like that. And then also with the 1960s element for yeah. your, your boomer voters. What do you think? Um, I agree. I think that it's also a mismatched pair a little bit. I think that mm-hmm. that catches people off guard. Yes. I think, um, if you say Robin Williams and Robert De Niro, like, I think that that in- that's intriguing. Like, um, what? The same movie? <laughs> you got no. chocolate in my peanut butter. Oh my God, look at what I was eating. A peanut butter cup with chocolate. That's so crazy. <laughs> mismatched pair. <laughs> but I agree. I think that it's, um, I think that Arnold it's- Arnold Schwarzenegger the- and Danny DeVito. I'm sorry. I'm just going to keep going. I think it's the physical difference. Uh, I think that's obvious. That's that's like bait for Oscars. I, I Again, I, I keep coming back to this. Like, you can tell a tough story, but you have to have that happy ending coda at the end. And if you have that and you leave the Academy in a good mood after watching your movie, and Robin Williams is on a roll at this point, so I think that it... I think that, you know, the Academy is looking out for him. They are, but Greg, it is about to be dry times. Have you looked ahead for Robin Williams? Uh, Betsy, thank you so much for coming back to life with me, dancing through the hospital rooms. I'm going to go dye my hair now. Next up, we have the winner of the Oscar for Best Picture in 1991, Kevin Costner's dances with wolves kevin costner who's apparently never met an editor settle in betsy for five hours 
<laughs> I can't Kevin wait. Costner in the frontier. Well, I'm gonna go see my family. I'm gonna say, well, what should we do tonight? Hey, let's watch Dances with Wolves together. I'm, I'm wondering how that's gonna go over. I should have started Dances with Wolves back at the beginning of the pandemic. I could <laughs> be finished by the time the vaccine came. <laughs> you would have. Tatanka. Tatanka, Greg. So that's what we have to look forward to next month. Dances with Wolves. We will see you then. Bye. Thank you.